Okay. Good morning, everybody. Feeling all right? A good week? Better than the government's? Yeah. Not really, no, John, we'll pray for you at the end. Couldn't have got any worse than that. Does this sound all right? They haven't checked it. Does this sound all right? Good. I couldn't get it to turn on, but I was pressing the wrong button. Um, okay, so if you've been here um, over the last few weeks, you will know... Um, can someone turn me off that screen? That's really distracting. Caught myself out there. I don't want to see myself. You have to see me. I don't want to see myself. Um, yeah, if you've been over the last few weeks, you'll know that we're um, in this series that we're calling Beautiful Resistance. It's based on a book um, by John Tyson, if you fancy going to give it a read. Um, I'm fanboying John Tyson at the minute, so everything that I'm listening to is him. People get sick of me saying, John Tyson says, John Tyson says. Um, but I'll move on at some point because it wasn't him not, not that long ago. Um, but there's a series of contrasts between um, the way of the world and the way of Jesus. Um, and in his book, um, John Tyson says that this must be stronger than that. So that is the theme that we've been looking at. And this is one way that we can summarize counterformation that you'd have heard us talk about um, over the last few months. Um, it's practices that we want to embrace as a church that are stronger than the practices of the world. So over the course of this series, we've been looking at the contrast that, we, that God invites us into against what the world invites us into. Like I said, this must be stronger than that. So if you've missed any of the previous, I think we've had three so far, then um, you can find those on the website now because I've finally put them on the website. Um, there's podcasts and videos up there. But just as a quick summary, Dan um, opened the series by looking at prayer and how the church needs to come back to life. And then Deborah um, shared about how worship must be stronger than idolatry. And then last week, Michelle spoke about how hunger must resist apathy. And this morning, we're going to be looking at how rest must be stronger than exhaustion. So if you have your Bibles with you, um, you can turn to Matthew 11, 25 to 30. You have a spoiler alert. You've already heard what I'm going to be using this morning. Um, if you haven't got a Bible, we have, we've got some. We've bought these. They were a bargain. It's just the New Testament, but if you haven't got one and would like one, we would love to give you them. Ask the welcome team and they will give you them. We would love to be able to have to buy more of these. Um, so please just ask and we'll give you one. But if you have your Bibles, it'll be on the screen as well. So Matthew eleven twenty-five to 30, it says, At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you are pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all, that you, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Okay, so I was a bit cautious to, I was umdenard for a couple of weeks whether to share this next bit with you all. Um, I was trying to think of a better illustration because all good preachers start with a good illustration, um, but couldn't, I couldn't find a better one. Um, 
And sometimes the best illustrations are our own life. So, and also, we want to create, if we're honest, we want to create this, um, this culture here on, at Central Vineyard, one of vulnerability. So we want to be vulnerable with one, uh, one another, and we also want to be honest with one another. And I guess, if you ask anyone, culture starts up here. So if I can't be vulnerable and honest up here, as terrifying as you all look sitting down there, <laughs> then I, we can't do it anywhere. So there is a slight irony um, this morning about me um, talking about rest today. The reality is I'm not great at resting. My dad is in the room at the back. I blame him. All of the blame for me being unable to rest lays firmly at the door <laughs> of my father. My mum, who isn't here this morning, is the, the other level, is quite good at resting. Um, she doesn't think she is, but she is. But it isn't in my genes to rest well. I'm not good at resting. And very recently, I learned that the, that this, the hard way, that life without rest creates unbearable exhaustion. So about six weeks ago, to the day, well, almost the day, to yesterday, I think it was then, I worked it out, it was about six weeks ago, it all came undone. And I know it happened, I know it happened six weeks ago because these things, when they happen, then they've never happened before, you kind of remember them. And also remember because it was the Saturday before the last time that I spoke, stood up here and why. So after a rather annoying morning, I won't go into it. If you want to hear the whole story, then you can take me out for a beer and I will tell you that, gladly tell you the whole story. I... Um, I came home, so I'd been, in fact, I'd been here doing some jobs that were rather annoying jobs. Um, and I came home, and I sat at the computer in my office, which is just off our kitchen, down some steps through the pit, as I call it, into my office, sat at the computer to do my slides, ready for Sunday to make some final tweaks to my notes and stuff. I was a bit all over the place and hadn't really got it done in time. And then it happened. Exhaustion came, and it caught up with me. And the next thing I know that I'm sat, with the, my head in my hands on my desk, crying like a baby, absolutely bawling my eyes out. I was done. I was done. Next thing I know, Anya's, uh, kids, you might just, they're in the kitchen. Kids, do you want to just go and play? So off the kids went, and then Annie came in, didn't know what to say. And I was just sat at my desk, going, I don't know how long it was, about 15 minutes, just sat there crying my eyes out. I won't go into more of that. Again, if you want to hear the story, then I'll tell you the whole story. But I was done. I was absolutely exhausted. And a few weeks, just a few weeks before that, I'd felt it coming. I'd felt this wave of exhaustion coming. And some friends had recommended this guy who doesn't live in Northampton, and we don't really know him, but they know him, um, who was just starting up as a coach and a spiritual director. And I owned an art about whether I should um, pay him quite a significant amount of money to do eight weeks. And in the end, I did. And he, the first session, he said, how long? He said, what's the problem? I said, I just feel like I'm on the road to burnout. He said, how long do you think you've got? I said, he said, have you got a year, six months? I said, I think I've got until Christmas. If I don't do something about it, I've got until Christmas. Um, I was about three months off. <laughs> now, I'm not saying this, for, but exhaustion came out of nowhere and it hit me like a train. Now, I'm not saying this for empathy points. I don't want you to feel sorry for me. Or because, I am, because I'm oversharing. Sometimes I can be an oversharer, but this isn't one of those moments. Um, like I said, the truth is it's actually quite hard to be vulnerable up, up here. Um, it seems like a brilliant idea when you're writing it, but often when you stand up here, you think, oh, 
just feel like you're standing on the stage with no clothes on. Um, but I really felt... No, no, thanks, I've got my clothes on. You have nightmares about that. But I, but I really felt God tell me that it was important um, for me to be honest with you this morning and use myself as an illustration. Because sometimes the best illustrations are our own lives, aren't they? So I just wanted to say that to be upfront with you um, and say that I am not an expert in anything that I'm going to talk about this morning. I am learning all this as we go along. So as a family, we've been looking at what it means to rest well since the pandemic. And as hard as the pandemic was, and for lots of people it was hard, I, I really miss the empty weekends where we couldn't do anything. There was nowhere open. We couldn't go anywhere. We couldn't do anything. All we could do was be at home, have long breakfasts, go for a walk, one walk. <laughs> be honest, sometimes I went for two. Can I get my drink? Um, or some water. That'd be great. Thanks. Um, that's where I am now. However, when all the options were removed, like I said, all we could do was go for a walk, rest. The highlight of the day was going out for your one, um, one hour long, was it an hour that we could have? However long it was. But since then, the world has returned to normal. And for us, and I can only speak for us, some of our unhealthy rhythms of busyness have come back as well. Even though in the moment we thought we're not going to go back to that way, it's just imp almost impossible to, to not go back. However, over the past six weeks or so, since that moment of collapse in my office, since the, the, the episode on that Saturday afternoon, um, God has begin, began to talk to um, me and Anya and the girls in all this on this journey of discovering what real rest looks like. And I mean real rest, not just watching back-to-back -back shows on Netflix, eating takeaway, or even the Western ideal of having a day off. We're talking about real rest. So I'm guessing that I, the thing that I've shared, I'm probably not the only person in this room who has experienced something like this. I'm not saying everyone has, but I'm sure there's others who have got to that point of absolute burnout. Or had times when you've just longed for a break, longed for rest, and felt it's completely unachievable, that it was too hard to do, too hard to fit into the busyness. When I was um, preparing for this, I looked at some um, stats, and according to a recent study, and this is in the UK, two-thirds of people reported that they experienced poor sleep. So two-thirds, so two-thirds of the people in this room will experience poor sleep. 62% of workers take, um, on, sorry, only 62% of workers take their full holiday allowance in this country. And of those that do take a holiday, 23% regularly check emails and 15% continue to do some work out of the fear of being behind when they get back or that they'll miss targets. That's me as well. So it turns out, actually, there's quite a few of us who are utterly useless at rest. It's not just me. And obviously, we live in this culture that demands more of us all the time, more attention, more productivity, more success, more money, more stuff, just more, 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 more. And to be honest, I find it absolutely exhausting. Again, I went down another rabbit hole while I was preparing for this, as often is the way. You think, oh, I'm just going to get on with my talk, and then you end up looking at, it's usually like dog videos or something <laughs> weird. But this actually did have some pertinence to what I'm talking about. 
But I looked at the effects of tiredness and stress and exhaustion on our physical health. And I haven't got the time or the brain or anything like that to go into it into detail. But in just one article, I found um, this. It says, not all stress has a negative effect. Studies have shown that short-term stress boosted the immune system, but chronic stress has a significant effect on the immune system that ultimately manifests itself in an illness. Stress can, this is me summarizing, raise T-cell levels, which suppress the immune system, which in turn raises the risk of viral infection, lead to the release of histamine, which can trigger severe bronchoconstriction in asthmatics. Stress can in increase the risk of diabetes. Stress can alter the acid concentration in the stomach, which can lead to peptic ulcers and other stomach or bowel-related issues. Recent studies have found a link between stress and tumor development. Stress can lead to a plaque buildup in arteries, and in ongoing cases, lead to heart attacks. And that's just the physical stuff. Lots of people here, and as John shared this morning, that, that's not even looking at the mental health thing that stress can you know, do to us. And I know that we're blessed at CV to have lots of people in lots of different life stages. Um, some of you perhaps have lived through this and survived to tell the tale. Some of you were just at the beginning. Some of us are right in the middle. But for many, stress and tiredness is not related to age, career, circumstance. It can just creep up out of nowhere. But for all of us, this is slightly depressing talk. Let's go down as one of Pete's depressing talks. But for all of us, wherever we find ourselves this morning, there is good news. In the midst of all this stress and tiredness and busyness, Jesus comes to give his message of rest. In the passage we read the, right at the beginning, Jesus gives an invitation. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He doesn't say, come to me and I'll make you successful, or come to me and I'll heap religious burden on you. His invitation is an invitation of rest. Salvation is about rest. The way of Jesus is rooted and anchored in rest. And my hope is, as I take this journey learning about how to really rest, that my words of my dad, who isn't good at resting, but is very good at saying sometimes, I'd like to become a black belt in mastering the way of rest. So in the passage that we read at the beginning, Jesus is actually giving a, con a contrast talk. He's highlighting the yoke of the world and the Pharisees, which lead to death. And he shares two key ideas. One is that the culture, by default, has a blindness to the wisdom of God. That's why he says, I thank you, Father, that you have hidden this from the wise and, un and understanding of the age, and yet you've revealed it to little children. So we're not going to gain wisdom by listening to the culture of the world. The world is blind. If you listen to secular wisdom, it will distort you, you will burn out, it will wear you out, you will fall into the traps of idolatry. But the contrast, the secret wisdom, is that resting in Jesus ultimately leads to more fruitfulness. So we have to learn to resist the blindness of secular wisdom that is always telling us technique, management, leverage, life hacks, go hard or go home, more, more, more. And we need, and Jesus in this moment says, hey, you can do this if you want. You can live like this. But if you come to me, I'll give you secret counsel. I will give you rest. 
But if we don't choose to come to him, our lives, and then by extension our church, will be marked out by burnout and burden and compromise. And believe me, Jesus is not glorified or seen as beautiful when we're exhausted, stressed out, and worn out. Come to my house when one of us is tired. Jesus is not exalted in our house in that moment. And just think quickly about your life. If you are tired, stressed, and worn out, the people actually get the best of you. A restful spirit is spiritual warfare in a culture of exhaustion. And so we have to learn to live in this rhythm of rest. So we do this by examining the yoke on our life. So what is the yoke on your life? Now, I can't answer that. That's a rhetorical question. You can go away and think about that. I'm not going to answer that this morning. But we live in this world that tells us that things are meant to be getting easier. Most of us have a supercomputer in our pocket. You can get time-saving devices for pretty much anything now. We have really cheap, relatively cheap, we don't think it's cheap, but in the history of time we have cheap mobility that makes us the most interconnected people in history. And as a result, we have more information on our fingertips than ever before. And yet, with all this progress, it's still not enough. Our souls increasingly look, increasingly look for meaning and value and truth as we slowly wither away, exhausted, frazzled, depressed, displeased. Our lives seem to be on a bit of a knife edge. Just think how bad news or poor decisions by a leader can send an entire nation over the edge. I don't even need, just think about this week or the last couple of weeks. You know, a poor decision sent the whole country into panic. The result is a hollow culture that's always learning but never coming to the knowledge of truth. Our bodies are ragged but our spirits are thirsty. We have an inability to simply sit still and be, so we, we, we drown ourselves in this 24-7 living. See, sometimes we seem to be, to be able to do anything but quench our thirst for a life with God. So let me ask you a question this morning, and don't worry, I'm not going to ask for answers. How are you doing this morning? How are you really doing? Maybe you're all good. Maybe you think, oh, I am quite chipper. I'm good, tip-top. Maybe you're thinking, I can live another 30 years like this and then wait to retirement, and then I might be done, but I've got another 30 years in me. Maybe like me, you're thinking, I've got until Christmas, that's the next holiday. I've got until Christmas. You probably haven't got till Christmas, as I found out. Or maybe you're in that moment now where you don't even know how much more you can take. So we have to examine our yoke. We have to really be in touch with who we are in our spirit inside us. We have to guard our hearts because this is what affects everything that we do. So we are called to rest. We are made to rest and Jesus invites us to rest. So this morning, if you haven't guessed it already, we want to get a bit practical and look at this practice of Sabbath. Um, we're going to explore this in um, the new year. We're going to do four weeks in January on Sabbath. Um, so this is just a little bit of a taster, and there is no, I'm going to miss out a ton of stuff, 
that we're going to talk about in January because there's so much stuff out there about it. So this is a bit of a, I don't know, an amuse-bouche, <laughs> a head start. So firstly, the reality is Jesus practiced the Sabbath. The Sabbath is at the beginning, the middle, the end of the Bible. If you read the Bible, you would eventually come across the idea of Sabbath. It's mentioned about 170 times in the Bible. About 60 of those times are in the New Testament. Secondly, Sabbath is a gift. So for the rest of our time this morning, I'm going to talk. I'm trying to G along. We might run over a little bit, but that'll be all right. I'm going to talk about what Sabbath is and the role that it can play and how we can practice it. So some of you may already be experts at this, um, or at the very least have some success with Sabbath. If that's you, then we would love to talk to you and find out. We're trying to get everything we can. We've got piles of books at home. We're trying to listen to stuff. Um, some of you may know what the Sabbath is, but are struggling to find a rhythm. That's where we are. Some of you may have just read about it or heard about it and not really have a clue. Some of you might be sitting there thinking, I have no idea what that guy's talking about. And some of you might be sitting there thinking, I'll take a day off. I'll have a day off. Just do the jobs that I need to do. Watch Netflix. You know, I might cut the grass or do some washing, go shopping. Whatever. Bad news. A day off is not a Sabbath. A day off is a day when we get all the things done that you've not done in the week because you're too busy being busy. It's a catch-up day. And in and, in and of itself, is not necessarily, it's not a bad thing at all, a day off, because you, you need that time to do those things. But it isn't a Sabbath. In fact, Eugene Peterson says, a day off is a bastard Sabbath. Days off are not without benefits, to be sure, but Sabbaths, they are not. So Sabbath is something different. Sabbaths are a beautiful gift from a God that longs for us to live a life with him. John Mark Comer, in his book, um, Garden City, wrote this. Sabbath is an expression of faith. Faith that there is a creator and he's good. We are his creation and this is his world. We live, live under his roof, drink his water, eat his food, breathe his oxygen. So on Sabbath, we don't just take a day off from work, we take a day off from toil. We take... We give him all our fear and anxiety and stress and worry. We let go. We stop ruling and subduing, and we just be. We remember our place in the universe so that we never forget. There is a God, and I'm not him. So Sabbath is intended to be a gift, and it's a gift that's woven into the fabric of the universe right from the beginning of the story. The reality is, the seven-day week is not a result of human in ingenuity. The seven-day week is God-given. If God worked six days but rested on the seventh, we probably need to do the same. Seventh, seven days is an ancient and sacred rhythm. So if we're to live the way that God designed us, if we're to live within the rhythms of God that he wove into the fabric of the universe, then rest must be stronger than exhaustion. So how do we do this? What does Sabbath look like? Like I said, there's no way I'm going to cover everything this morning, um, but I thought I'd look at a few key themes um, of Sabbath, one of some of the things that we're looking at as a family. 
If you want to know more, then come and speak to me. I can recommend a ton of books, um, podcasts, all sorts of things that we're, that we're looking at. Who clever people that say it better than me. But one of the books that I'm reading is by a lady called Marva Dawn, and it's called Keeping the Sabbath Holy. Not holy, not holy, not holy, with a W, holy. Um, Marva says that, so Marva says that Sabbath has four movements, ceasing, resting, embracing, and f- she used the term feasting, but other people say delighting. So these four things are a good start of what should mark out Sabbath time in your life. So firstly, ceasing. So the first part of Sabbath rest is ceasing. It's basically stopping. Stopping work, stopping duties, stopping chore, stopping chores, stopping housework, stopping tasks, stopping business, just stopping altogether. On a Sabbath, we're called to deliberately remember that we need to stop trying to be God and instead put our lives back in his control. On the Sabbath, we stop getting our sense of value from what we produce or accomplish. We stop worrying that we haven't produced enough, not accomplished enough. We haven't finished everything on the list. Bad news, you never finish everything on the list. We stop trying to be God and we stop trying to control people. We just stop. We stop obsessing over possessions, about what we have, what we don't have, what we want, what we need, what we need to go and buy. Sabbath is a day to practice the sovereignty of God. We need to set a day aside to set up some boundaries where we say, okay, there's some areas in my life, in my heart this week, in all this busyness that I've been trying to control. And on the Sabbath, we say, God, you are in charge of those now. Now, I'm sure lots of you here have got better boundaries than me. Some of you probably got worse boundaries than me. Um, but lots of you have probably got better boundaries than me. But when I'm not doing church stuff, or if I, if I work for church two days a week, the rest of the time I um, run my own small business. Um, and the idea of being your own boss, if anyone says that to someone who is their own boss, is rubbish. It's not true. Because I essentially have, I work with clients, so I have about 15 bosses who are all demanding things of me all the time. And yes, you can be flexible. I can say, well, I'm going to go and do this and I'm not going to answer them. I can choose to do that. The problem is it's all, I mean, they don't know that I'm not there. Because all these people think that what they need from me is the most important thing on my list. We've got 15 people telling you what I need is the most important thing. So boundaries in my life can get pretty blurred. And I can, if I accidentally accidentally check my email over the weekend or when we're trying to Sabbath and there's something there that a client sent me, it buzzes and clatters around my brain and it's there all weekend until I do something about it. So I try not to check my emails. That's one of the boundaries that we're trying to put up, that we're trying to check my emails. I've even caught myself checking my emails on my phone through sort of half-closed eyes, a bit like looking at football score, thinking if I look at it through half-closed eyes... It isn't going to be as bad. It doesn't make zero difference. It's like somehow that was going to filter out anything that's going to ruin my weekend. So you may not be checking your emails over the weekend or just before you go to bed, but maybe you can think of some other habits that will cause you to literally sabotage your own rest because you just won't stop. So we have to put up these boundaries. We have to learn to stop. 
Because without ceasing and stopping, we can't rest properly. We have to learn to rest, to trust God that he is ultimately in control. And rest is not just going to happen by accident. Your boss isn't going to ring you up tomorrow and say, hey, you looked tired last week. I'll cover your work for you today. You go home, make yourself a cup of tea, just relax, spend some time with God, do whatever you want to do that gives you relax. That's not going to happen tomorrow. The reality is if we want rest, then we need to be willing to fight for it. Another book that I'm reading, which is a bit heavier going, so I'm reading that very slowly. I'm not a great reader. Lots of things I'm not very good at. Reading's one of them. Um, but Jewish theologian Abraham Joshua Heschel's, I believe you say that, um, he's written this little book called The Sabbath. And he's, a, he's, he's Jewish, he's not a Christian, so he's writing at it purely from the Jewish perspective. But he says this, he who wants to enter the holiness of the day must first lay down the profanity of clattering commerce, of being yoked to toil. He must go away from the screech of dissident days, from the nervousness and fury of acquisitiveness and the betrayal in embezzling his own life. He must say farewell to manual work and learn to understand that the world has already been created and will survive without the help of man. Six days a week, we, we wrestle with the world, wringing profit from the earth. On the Sabbath, we especially care for the seed of eternity planted in our soul. The world has our, has our, has our hands, but our soul belongs to somebody else. Six days a week, we seek to dominate the world. On the seventh day, we try to dominate the self. So first, we need to learn how to cease to stop and to resist work, which is a lot easier to do, uh, easy to say and harder to do. Um, but we're going to talk a bit more about that in the new year. Secondly, the second one was rest. So once we've stopped, we need to rest. So like I said earlier, sit, even sitting still is hard for me. Um, but if we're to Sabbath well, we need to learn to create a rhythm of rest. You see, it's so easy to blame seasons of your life. I've said it before when people have said, oh, you know, how are you? I'm busy. And I'm sad. But don't worry, it's just the season. It's just a busy season. It will pass. It'll be okay in a few weeks. It's just the season. And then it will quieten down and I'll be able to get some rest. Sometimes that is the case. But more often than not, I've found that seasons quite quickly become a lifestyle. And lifestyles are hard to change. Without proper rest, we can get lost in the busyness of life. We get tired, and then tiredness rarely leads to holiness. In his book, Beautiful Resistance, which we're basing this series on, John Tyson argues that two things must be challenged for rest to begin. Firstly, we need to understand that relaxation is not the same thing as rest. Watching back-to-back -back episodes of, I don't know, whatever the kids are watching nowadays. I don't watch things that normal people watch. I watch weird documentaries or things that Andy's not interested in. But whatever you're watching, watching back-to-back -back episodes of that may be relaxing, but the chances are you're not going to come off the sofa after watching, I don't know, name a show, any show, feeling fully renewed with a fresh clarity of how God sees us and how he loves us. Now, I'm not saying that sitting on the sofa watching back-to-back -back episodes of whatever you are watching is bad. But we must not mistake relaxation for real rest. If all we do is relax, we are just medicating our mediocrity. 
Jesus calls us to live a life, live, live a life to the full. And if we're to live that life to the full, we need to learn to rest and rest well. Life to the full mustn't be mistaken for life that is full on. If we are burnt out, tired, exhausted, it's impossible to be the people Jesus has in mind. Jesus calls us to be people of love, and love takes energy. So rest is essential for our discipleship. We need spiritual rest, we need physical rest, we need emotional rest, we need intellectual rest, we need social rest. So go home and have a nap. Well, not now, let me finish, then you can go home and have a nap. Renewal, not relaxation, should be our aim, or not just relaxation, should be our aim. Like I said, there's nothing wrong with relaxing, but we just need to find rhythms to rest properly. I guess the next question is, that's all very well and good. How do I rest, Pete? Well, the honest answer is, I have no idea how you find your rest. That's for you to work out. There is no magic formula. Um, it will be different for every person here. It's different for every person in our house. We each need different things from the day. So there are some things that we can do collectively, but other things that we just need to go and do on our own. For me, if I'm in the woods on my own, with the dog, with nothing in my ears, not listening to anything, just listening to the trees, for a nice day, in the woods, no one else around, completely on my own other than for the dog. That's probably the closest I feel to God out of anywhere on earth. And you know what began to sort me out after the incident, as we call it in our house? I went, and he was like, you're going to have to go away. You're going to have to just go away. And I was like, I can't go away. I'm preaching tomorrow anyway. I just took myself off for a few hours in complete silence. I didn't listen to anything. I took the dog out. We went for a walk in the woods. And I'm not saying I came out of that completely renewed and back to how I, you know, God intended me. But I did come out of that couple of hours knowing that I was loved, knowing that I was accepted and reminded of how God saw me. And that was the start of the start. You've got to be deliberate about it, and you have to find what rest, real rest, looks like for you. Okay, the third element. Don't worry, there's only four. We're going to run over, but sorry. Just relax. Rest. <laughs> it's fine. The third one is embracing. Sabbath gives us a fresh, fresh perspective on who we are and how God sees us. In our business of the week, it's so easy to get this, a distorted view of ourselves. We live in a culture that is constantly distorting our identity. The world can see us as commodities, money-making devices, consumers, sexual objects, only there for profit and manipulation. Sabbath helps us remember our true identities in Christ. Now, it's a bit of a tentative link, but I thought by this point we'd all might be dropping off. So to wake everyone else up, I found these um, spoof film reviews online. They're reviewing children's films, but through the eyes of an adult. So I've just got a couple here. They'll be on the screens. The Lady in the Tramp review said, a ridiculous movie. What could a restaurant owner possibly have to gain by giving away a perfectly good meal to dogs when he could sell it at a reasonable price to, a human, to human beings? A, do a dog cannot pay for spaghetti, and payment is the only honest way to express appreciation for value. One star. 
Next one, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. An excellent movie. The obviously unfit individuals are winnowed out through a series of entrepreneurial tests, and in the end, the ent enterprising... <laughs> Sorry. Enterpri I've got a dodgy thing. Enterprising young boy receives a factory. I believe more movies should be made about enterprising young boys who are given factories. Three and a half stars. Half a star off for the grandparents who were sponging off the labour of Charlie and his mother. If Grandpa Joe can dance, Grandpa Joe can work. <laughs> now, these are obviously a joke, but there is something in these that we can often see in the world. Kids believe in wonder and rest, and why won't you come and play with me? And adults are like, because that's not how life works. We can often have a habit of crushing and turning everything into a utility. I catch myself doing it, doing it at home. Ask Lottie what she wants to be when she's older. Well, I did ask this morning. She didn't get that answer, but up until this morning, she'd say, you say, what do you want to be when you're older, Lottie? I want to be a princess. And then I want to be the queen. So I'm like, Lottie, we need a chat. That's not going to happen. Or she said, Daddy, will you come and sit and snuggle? And, what? and how often are we like that? And I say, oh, I've got jobs to do, Lottie. I can't go and do that. And how often are we like that with God? The world is a cynical place. And we need to create this space on a Sabbath where we can get away from it. Everything is conspiring to turn our lives into a utility. Sabbath is an opportunity to embrace God and allow him to define our identities as his children. Children are designed to imagine and wonder and play and rest and love. And Sabbath is a time when we get our broken identities changed. That's how we become different kinds of people. And we do that within this weekly rhythm of Sabbath. As AJ Swoboda beautifully said, Sabbath is a scheduled weekly reminder that we are not what we do, Rather, we are who we are loved by. So on, this Sabbath, on the Sabbath, we embrace. We embrace God, who in turn embraces us and reminds us of our true identity as his children. And then finally, delighting or feasting, as it says in the book. So we cease, we rest, we embrace, and then finally, we have to learn to delight. God invites us to delight in the good things he's given us whether that be art or music or friends or family or nature or poetry or my favorite, my favorite in our house, feasting. It's finally something that I'm good at, feasting. And this is something that we can do quite well in our house. If you read about or attend a Shabbat dinner, Shabbat is the Jewish word for Sabbath, there are certain foods that they only eat on the Sabbath. There are certain songs they only sing on the Sabbath. They basically try and turn this 24-hour period into abundant, an abundance of delight. Now, one of the things that our girls are loving about Sabbath is this idea of pleasure stacking. Anyone heard of the idea of pleasure stacking? Which is where you just pile one good thing on top of another, on top of another, on top of another. So cake with ice cream and cream, and maybe a bit of custard, and maybe another bit of cake, and maybe another bit of ice cream. Nothing is too much. We've decided nothing is too much on the Sabbath in our house when it comes to food. If it's in our cupboards or fridge, then it's up for grabs. And partly, and this week, um, partly to prepare for this talk, I thought I made a need to have two Sabbaths this week. Um, 
and try and put some of this stuff into action. I gave myself a day off on Tuesday, and I went to the um, V&A and British Museum in London. You see, beautiful things make me happy. Seeing something, oh, that's what my wife makes me happy. But I mean, beautiful things in a museum make me happy. Good save. I don't have to just go to V&A to see beautiful things, but it, there were some other beautiful things there. But something that is a thousand, thousands of years old reminds me of my place in God's universe. To see the intricacies of an 18th century French lock makes me happy. Now, you might think, Pete, you're a weirdo. But until you've seen them, don't knock it. You see, Sabbath should be a celebration, a celebration of all that is good and beautiful, a weekly Christmas, something that is enjoyed, good wine, good food, good friends, joy, beauty, music. This is what we do on the Sabbath. We say in our house, stacks on stacks on stacks. Just keep stacking it on, stacking it on for 24 hours. The rest of the week, we can worry about what we eat and do and diet and all that kind of thing. But on the Sabbath, we celebrate. Some rabbis even said that if you are married, then you should have sex on the Sabbath. And in just that moment, some of the men around the room are thinking, we should practice Sabbath. <laughs> we'll give it a go. I wasn't, wasn't up for it until then, but now I'm all in. So we have to learn to feast on the goodness of God. We have to learn to delight in who he is and what everything that he's given us. We have to remember all of the gifts that we have. And I don't need you to tell, or I, you don't need me to tell you that sometimes it can feel that we've got this sort of IV drip into our veins that attach to the brokenness of the world. Our news feeds are just filled with high-definition, intricate details and images of dysfunction and sin and heartache and brokenness and pain. And if we don't get a fresh source, we will experience compassion fatigue, which means that we generally feel bad about everything but have no capacity to love anything. And when we delight, we, when we restore, when we renew, when we take in beauty... We have something that fights this brokenness. Some research in Israel says that the mortality rates over the Sabbath, when the Jewish um, people practice the Sabbath, the mortality rates go down. No one wants to die on the Sabbath. And I heard something the other day that said that Seventh-day Adventists, who are probably the only people who really strictly, in the well, in, the, in, in our country, really strictly hold to the Sabbath, um, they have around seven-year-longer life expectancy than the general population. So if you were to Sabbath every week from when you were 18 until the day you die, you'd spend around nine years Sabbathing. Maybe that's not a coincidence, that that's very similar to the seven extra years that those people live. So we have to learn to build cycles of sustainability. I don't know about you, but I want to be the sort of person when people meet me, they see a person of rest with margin and a capacity to love. So to finish, it may or may not be helpful to go through some things that you may well be asking. Like I said, I'm not an expert on this. So when should I Sabbath? There is no fixed rule. Culturally, it's probably Sunday. For us, it's not. We, do it, we tend to do it Friday evening to Saturday evening just because 
we do things here and it sometimes feels a bit like work. Um, but for lots of people, Sunday's a good day, but there's no fixed rule. If you're working at the weekend, you can do it on a Wednesday. There's nothing that says um, when you should do it. What about legalism? Yes, we can be legalistic about anything. So don't do it. Sabbath is a gift. Just don't be legalistic about it. It's a gift. Don't ruin it by making it legalistic. What about the new covenant? Like, oh, well, we don't need to do those old things because Jesus has come. There's an issue today. You can go and read books about people who say that the Sabbath is, we still, we need, still need to practice the Sabbath, that we don't need to practice the Sabbath. My personal belief is that I don't think we're any, under any obligation to practice the Sabbath. However, I know from personal experience that if I don't practice the Sabbath, I feel worse than when I do practice the Sabbath. So you, can, you don't have to accept the gift, but I would come with a warning. Ignore it at your own peril. Walter Brueggemann says, people who keep the Sabbath live all seven days differently. And I know that we find that in our house. Some of you have got kids are like, what about children? Yep, Sabbaths can be hard with kids. Believe me, I haven't got any other answers to that. They just can be hard. But also, as we found, that kid, kids love to embrace the Sabbath. They get it far quicker than we do. And if they're on board, we'll have even more fun. The kids and our, the, our kids say that Sabbath is their favorite day of the week. In fact, yesterday, Andy was away, so it was a three-person Sabbath yesterday, which was hard, being a single parent. So again, if you're a single parent, it's not easy. I haven't got the answers. I'm just telling you. Um, and we went out for lunch, and then after lunch, where we went for lunch, there was a fun fair. Now, if you know me, I'd never have gone to the fun fair. Because one, I don't trust the people who build them. And two, I don't really want to spend the money on it. But Anna was like, oh, can we go to the fun fair? And I think she was expecting me to say no. But I thought, it was Sabbath. Let's go play. So we went. It didn't end well. Because Eleanor begged and begged to go on the bumper cars. And she ended up coming off early crying. And then I couldn't get off because I was in with Lottie. And then as it finished, I crashed ours. And I thought, Lottie, I thought I'd crack Lottie's rib. So we came off, and they were just in tears. And as we were walking over to the, um, over to the fun fair, Ellen was like, oh, this is the best day ever. I don't think she felt that walking back to the car. Um, it just cost me a bit more money to get to my other rides to take off the... Uh, the She's never going to go on a bumper car again. But involve your kids in what it looks like. And embrace, just embrace the fact that Sabbath may look differently in different life stages. But ultimately, let us be a people with a source of life and a source of rest that has mar- we have margin to bring to the world. Sabbath is a gift, and rest must be stronger than exhaustion. So to finish this morning, I want to reread um, the Bible verse that I read at the beginning, but this time from the message. So it says, are you tired, worn out, burnt out on religion? You could add all sorts of things in there. Burn out with the world. Come to me. Get away with me, and you will cover your life. I will show you how to take real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. So, we'll stand in a minute and we'll pray. But as a bit of an invitation... Got some homework this week. 
in this next week, if you don't already, try and just try and find. It doesn't have to be 24 hours. 24 hours can be a hard thing to do, and very rarely do we do a full 24 hours. But just start somewhere with this. Try and take some time out to find what real rest looks like for you. Try and turn off your phone, turn off your email. People aren't going to die, unless you're a doctor. Please don't turn your phone off if you're a doctor and you're on call. Um, but most of us in the room, no one's going to die if we turn our phone off for a few hours. But just this week, try and take some time and find some space to Sabbath, to try and do some of these things. Delight, cease, stop, embrace. I've also, I've had these cards printed because I'm up here preaching and I can. Um, they're going to be on the landing if you want to grab one on the way out. It's just a card on the back. It's got a Sabbath prayer that we've, well, I've found helpful as we, to mark the start. You start getting into it, and there's all sorts of things that they say that you could do to help Sabbath. Um, one of the things is to start the time with a prayer, so it's a marked start. Um, so you can grab one of those. It's got my fridge to remind you. Um, but maybe I'll read that out as a reminder. We'll stand, and then we'll see what God wants to do. We've, 